touch that dial. You've tuned in to The Great TV Podcast with Jim Harold. Whether they're current or classic, let's talk about the best shows ever made. Welcome to The Great TV Podcast. I am Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you once again. And I want to make a quick apology before we get started. We recorded this probably, I'm thinking back in May or June, and just never got around to releasing it. And I do apologize to our guest, Scott Ryan. And today we are going to hear all about his new book, 30-something at 30, an oral history. Now, a couple of things. This was recorded quite a while ago. So if something slips in when the book comes out, you know, the book is uh, out right now. In fact, I'm looking on Amazon. It's got five out of five star reviews. Uh, so obviously it's been very well received and it's a great time to actually put this out though, because uh, I understand from Scott that, uh, 30 something just celebrated its 30th anniversary. So I, I think that actually it might even be better that it came out now, but, uh, thanks Scott so much. Scott is a neat guy. He is an author. He's also written a book on twin peaks. He is a director and he's directed a voyage to twin peaks. He also directed Meet Abby, just a very much a renaissance man. And he's a fellow podcaster. He does the Red Room podcast, Big Bad Buffy interviews, and the 37-thing podcast, and an editor of the Blue Rose magazine. He resides in my home state in Columbus, Ohio. He's married and has four kids, and he brings passion and humor to all of his projects. And today we're going to talk 30-something. Scott, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much for having me. And I think you definitely aged us by saying that a show that's 30 years old is recent. Well, I mean, when it comes to TV you grew up with, that's a recent show. Because the funny thing is I, I'm finding myself doing uh, programs and shows that, that were actually in reruns when I was growing up. And it's like, well, maybe we need to get uh, get a little bit relatively speaking more recent with 30-something. But 30-something was really something... Uh, different for TV. And when I looked at uh, the the information here and the kind of background of the book, it struck me, it seemed like a show that was on much longer than it actually was. It ran 1987 to 1991. I would have thought because of its impact, it had been on much longer. Why did 30 something in your mind strike such, uh, such a nerve at that particular time in history? Well, I think the thing that 30-something did that changed television was it really slowed down real life. You know, I feel like people always say that television is going to be a reflection of ourselves, but 30-something actually did it. Um, when I was interviewing Tim Busfield, who played Elliot on sure. the show, one of the things he said is, you got to realize this is a pilot where the major storyline is about finding a babysitter and you know buying like a, a stroller for the, for Janie and, and you know that's the plot of the first episode and that's it you know that doesn't happen anymore on television so i think people reacted to these characters like they were real and over those 4 years you go on such a journey that here we are 30 years later, fans are still thinking these actors are the characters. Now, something that I also think was really important in this series, but you know way better than I do. If you look at when the show came out in 1987, 30 years ago, uh, the year I graduated from high school, yikes. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, you think about it, 
uh, these people are 30 something that would be putting them being uh, smack dab in the baby boom generation. They were probably maybe 30, 35, something in there. The, the ones that had been so wild and had the summer of love and love and peace. And now they find themselves in more domestic kind of situations with the two kids and a wife and a mortgage and all of that stuff. I guess that was part of part of the, the, the hit part of it was that so many baby boomers were finding themselves maybe in a situation that they'd seen their parents in and never expected themselves in. I mean, did that play a part in it? I think it did. And, you know, certainly while we're sitting here on a show about TV you grew up with, in the early episodes of 30-something, they do a lot of references to Leave it to Beaver or uh, the Dick Van Dyke show, the characters, I mean, because they grew up with television and they sort of were that first generation that had seen, you know, the Cleavers family and what their family dinners were like. And then now you add kids and it, it, you know, TV doesn't really show that the kids are misbehaving, they're running around, you know, you're fighting with your wife and you got to pretend you're not. I mean, that's what real life is about. And so I think that had a big part for the baby boomers. Again, going back to one of the, this book is all interviews. So I interviewed everyone, you know, writers, directors, actors. And one of the writers, Liberty Godshell, talked about how when the show went on, people kind of scoffed at it because they said, well, you're just talking about yourself. I mean, they were 30-something, and they're talking about their own lives. And, you know, she said, look at millennials today. That's all they do is reflect of themselves. And we were sort of um, thought less of in the television community because that's what they were doing. But those are the things that last for 30 years. If you are just getting married today and just having children right here in 2017, the stories that 30-something told are going to happen to you just the same because family happens every generation, whether whatever technology has advanced or, you know, if women no longer wear shoulder pads and, you know, Madonna right. hairstyles. Yeah, there's a lot of poofy hair in 30-something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, another thing that strikes me about 30-something, and and there had been other shows that were doing this at the time, but if you look at, and I've talked to other people about different shows like uh, Hill Street Blues, uh, we had Bruce, Bruce Whitestone uh, very early on, is shows like Hill Street Blues, St. Elsewhere, 30-something, these shows from the 80s, there were the, some, some of the first non-quote soap operas, although you might get some argument on that, but dramatic series where you had a story arc. It wasn't just, okay, every episode is self-contained for the most part. Maybe there's some themes that run throughout, but if you watch, for example, Columbo, you know, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and he, he figures out who the killer is, he unmasks him, and then we go on to the next scenario. Whereas with this, this was more of a story arc. I mean, how much of a precursor was 30-something to, to what we're seeing now in what a lot of people are calling the second golden age of television? Well, I actually think that it is more than television history remembers. Um, you know, yes, they continued the stories in a realistic way. Um, I think 30-something is very famous for Nancy having cancer. That's sort of one of the stories that really has resonated throughout the years. 
And that storyline goes for about a year and a half on the series. But what I think is more impressive is the clothes also go from episode to episode. You know, in real life, you don't have unlimited amount of clothes. You know, you will see Michael and Hope wearing the same outfit in different episodes. And I think that those little touches is what makes a series real. And that's what 30-something really did. They slowed it down. They made life, you know, reflect right there on television. So I think that's how it changed TV. But I think the problem is, is that other people haven't been able to do it again. I don't know that, you know, like Parenthood was a show that a lot of people compare it to or Brothers and Sisters, but they tend to go a little bit to the soap side. And I don't think 30-something ever did. It just really stayed in that fine line of reflecting what it's like to have to get a job, have to raise kids, fall in love, and just the things that truly matter in life. The actors and actresses involved with 30-something, I, I mean, these in many cases were the roles of a lifetime. What were their, What were some of their reflections? Well, it was really gratifying to me because they all just opened their hearts to this project from the get-go. Um, most of them hadn't done an interview about 30-something in years because in some ways it has slipped off people's memory because it's not streaming. And here we are sitting in its 30th year. I really wish that Netflix or Amazon Prime would pick it up because I think it's something that we need to see. And so because they hadn't talked about it in a long time and I was very interested in it and open to their stories and, you know, as an interviewer, you know, if, if you create that space from someone and you, you know, they get that you really want to understand how they created this character, then they're going to share with you. You know, you're not there to mock them. And it was really gratifying to me how much they shared. They love this series. They're all still friends. They, you know, support each other. Ken Olin is now the executive producer of This Is Us, which is a huge hit on NBC. Right. He's hiring Peter Horton and Tim Busfield to direct for them. Uh, Polly Draper created a show that was on Nickelodeon. I can't think of the name right now, but it was, you know, a teen show. She hired Melanie Mayron to direct. Like, they really all are still helping each other out. And I think because once I got one of the actors, then they sort of goaded the other person to be like, hey, you got to you know, you got to talk to this guy. He's really doing something special. And, and that was great for me. Now, a question about those actors in the, in the, uh, in the program. If you look at the names, the, the main one that, that sticks out to me, maybe who has done a lot that would be recognizable, well-known afterwards in terms of just the casual uh, viewer would be Dana Delaney. But I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think as much about um, other actors doing something else that they would be as identified for. It seems like most of these people are probably most identified to the general public as uh, as thirty as uh, members of the thirty-something cast. Was it 
that those roles, and I've talked to other actors uh, about this with other programs, they're so identified in those roles that they're typecast. Was it choice? I mean, uh, am I missing somebody? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the truth is that 30-something was really a school for directing. And in my book, I have a section called Ed Zwick's Samurai School of Directing. And Ed Zwick went on to direct movies like Glory and the Jack Reacher movie with Tom Cruise and The Last Samurai. I mean, Ed Zwick is like a huge big-time movie director. Mm -hmm. And he shepherded these people in learning how to direct. So Ken Olin, Timothy Busfield, Peter Horton, Melanie Mayron, and Mel Harris all did their directorial debut on 30-something. And they've all gone on to be directors. Now, you're right. No one may associate these people with their face. But, you know, Peter Horton did Grey's Anatomy. Right. You know, he directed a ton of that. Melanie Mayron did uh, the Larry Sanders show and Jane the Virgin. And Tim Busfield did The West Wing. And you know what I mean? So they really still work. I just don't think they went on to work in front of the camera as much. So they've been very, been successful, but they've just been successful behind the scenes. They've not gone on to this multi-gabillion movie career, which I think that's the assumption. People think that, that folks want to do that, but I don't think that's always necessarily the case. No, and I think once you get a taste for directing, I think you think, why should I sit here in a makeup chair and and ha- and have someone tell me what to do? It's so much more fun <laughs> to get to tell everyone else what to do. I mean, that's just human nature. And they really appreciated Ed's tutelage and Marshall Herskovitz, too, is the other co-creator. He took the directing seriously. And when you watch the series now... And you look at it from a directing standpoint, it is phenomenal what they did. There's a ton of of oneers, and they talk about that a lot in the book, where they set up a long shot and they have characters coming in and out and they're folding laundry or they're loading the dishwasher. And, you know, those scenes are really hard to set up. I mean, they talked about where you have to look at the script and you're not cutting the camera, so the actor has to know to bend into the shot and deliver their line and get out so someone else can come in. And I think that is where 30-something changed television. You know, it was two years later that Twin Peaks came on TV, and I feel like everyone gives David Lynch the credit for bringing a filmmaker's point of view to television. But I actually think it was Ed Marshall a couple years early that, that truly changed the way TV is filmed. Our guest today is Scott Ryan. The subject is his new book, 30-something at 30, an oral history. And uh, we're having a good time talking about this iconic series from the late 80s and early 90s. Now, one thing was interesting here. I know that you talk uh, uh, to to Ken Olin uh, and his wife about how they managed to work together because uh, Ken Olin and Patricia Weddick were in the, the show together. And then they were married and they're married in real life. And the interesting thing to me is that how do you, I mean, that takes some expert acting, you know, if, if you're having a great day before you come in and you're getting along great, and then you've got to pretend you're angry at each other or vice versa, you're tooth and nail and you have to pay play a romantic scene. I mean, that had to be an interesting dynamic. What did they have to say about it? 
Well, the really interesting part was that they did not play man and wife on the series. They actually are married to the opposite actor. That's right. So they that I think was even stranger because then you've got Ken Olin who's directing his wife, you know, in a love scene with Timothy Busfield, who they're best friends with. And I asked Ken about that. I said, you know, you tended to direct a lot of episodes where Nancy was the feature and was it hard to direct another man to be with your wife? And he actually said that it was easier because he said, if you're not on set and you're not in charge of it, it was harder to watch a scene and think, well, why did you do that? Why did you let him touch you there? And then you start thinking, he said, when you're there and you see how mathematically these scenes are really laid out and then you think oh this is a cool shot so he actually said he would rather have been the one directing when patricia and tim or someone else would would have a scene like that um and then on the flip side um patty told a really interesting story that she wanted to be hope and they both um auditioned to play michael and hope and then they would have been married and, you know, you've got Marshall and Ed knowing that here's a husband and wife um, auditioning for a role together, but they didn't see Nancy, or I'm sorry, Patricia playing Hope. They just didn't feel she had what they wanted from Hope. So they had to cast her the other to the other couple. And they said, you know, they just talked to her about where Nancy would grow to be because in the pilot, she only has one line. And that's it. But like I said, when she gets her cancer story in season three, that story blew up. She won the Emmy three out of four years. And, you know, it was the part of her life. She even mentioned that. So it was kind of strange for everyone. But the whole show was that way because Ed and Marshall's wives were writers on the show. So you've got all kinds of husband and wife teams working together and sharing their stories of their own marriages, writing it, directing it, acting it. So it's a very familiar atmosphere on the series. Now, um, this probably should come later in the interview, but it just occurred to me. Has there ever been a, any talk of doing something like 60-something? Because I think, well, there, there, there's two pieces to that. One is I think it would really resonate to that generation because just as they probably found themselves uh, quite surprised to be uh, with the wife and kids and the mortgage and all of that, they would be equally surprised, if not more so, to, to be uh, facing their golden years. Uh has there been any talk of that or is that just something that you couldn't get the people together or maybe because it's considered quote old, there's not a market for it. Has that, has that been anything somebody's thought of? Well, when I interviewed Marshall, I asked him about it and he basically just said, I think people like thinking about it better than they would like watching it. They sort of feel that they had told the story that they wanted to tell and any coming back to it, would sort of ruin it. But then he did say, you know, that's always the answer they give first. Right. But then, you know, you wait a little bit. And then he said, well, we actually did have a conversation about it a couple weeks ago about how we could do it. And there is a way. So I don't really know. And then Liberty Godshell, who wrote on the show and is married to Ed Zwick, when I 
was done with the interview with her, she said, man, I haven't thought about this show for a while and it should come back. I'm going to tell Ed that tonight. <laughs> and so I, I don't know. I mean, I just love this series. I really think it's one of the top series that were was ever created. And I just wanted to shine a light on this show because I think it's been kind of forgotten in television history. So if it could come back, I think it'd be great. You know, I was one of the people who said Twin Peaks would never come back. I said David Lynch will never do it. I mean, I've got 100 episodes on the Red Room podcast of me saying Twin Peaks is never going to come back. And guess what? You know, it's coming back next next week or next month. And, you know, there's there's new Twin Peaks. So I don't know. That being said, I don't think 30 something is going to do 60 something. I just don't see it happening. But it is interesting because I think you have a unique time in television history with streaming, maybe a show that might be harder to sell to the networks that the streaming services would be more likely to take a chance on something like that, a la what Showtime, even though it's a cable service, is doing with Twin Peaks, where you would have the bookend, you would have the original show maybe start showing in, in, in repeats, and, and, and then they, they roll out the sequel. Even Mystery Science Theater uh, 3000, um, even a show like that, you're seeing the same thing happen. So I wonder if, if it were going to happen, it would seem like now would be the perfect time to, to do it in terms of the possibility of it happening. Yeah, I, and I actually think that the idea of telling what it's like to be 60, especially today when, you know, we don't really know what happens with our retirement, is Social Security going to be there? I mean, there's a, there is a lot of drama there at that age group. Also, this fan base of 30-something, they love the show. You know, when I say it's forgotten, I mean in the big sense. I mean, since I've started this book and the 30-something podcast with my co-host, Carolyn Hendler, people contact me all the time. They send me these Facebook messages just pouring out how these characters have changed their lives and how they learned from them. And there is a rabid fan group for 30-something. You know, it may not be as potent as the Twin Peaks fan group because, you know, I'm I'm very involved in Twin Peaks as well. That's another one of my favorites. And that fan group is really involved. It may not be there. It's a different kind of fan. But I agree with you. I think if Netflix or Hulu or someone like that picked it up. But I just, I don't know. I... I'm just not sure Ed and Marshall would do it. I didn't get that feeling from them. I think they're proud of it. I think they really love the work they did, and they should be. I mean, it won the Emmy in 87 for Best Series, and I think it was nominated every year. It has a great status. But I just can't see them bringing it back. I don't mean to be a negative Nelly for all the fans out there, but I I just don't see it ever coming back. Uh, there was some controversy surrounding the series with different episodes and things. What were some of the big controversies at the time uh, associated with the program? Well, I think the biggest one is on an episode called Strangers. Um, just last week, the Entertainment Weekly did an article about Strangers, 
And that was written by Richard Kramer. And I want to take this opportunity to thank Richard Kramer. He was a producer and writer on 30-something. If it was not for him, this book would not exist. He took me under his wing and assisted me, got me every contact I needed. And, you know, it was just so nice to me. So he wrote the episode Strangers. And in it, two men are seen in bed together. That's the first time that ever happened on network television. There had never been two men in bed. They didn't touch. They actually did something more controversial than anything. They smoked a cigarette, (laughs) which was fine in 1989, but now people would lose their mind. So that episode did create a boycott and advertisers pulled out. And it's really funny. If you watched Strangers today, you would be like, are you kidding me? What is controversial in this? episode at all. But people did get very upset by it. You know, not really. I mean, it's always those groups that come out of the woodwork because the world was going to end because two men were in bed together. But it's a very tame scene. So I think that was one. Um, Another thing they did that actually, it should have probably been more of a controversy. I think it it feels like it now. There's an episode called Stop at Willoughby that's written by Joseph Doherty, who went on to work on Pretty Little Liars. And he did an episode about the first Gulf War and about selling the war and the the big bad boss in that episode, Miles Drentel, talks about using the Iraq War to sell beer. And the speech he gives is chilling now because it's so much of the world we live in and how we're sold to war. And, you know, when the second Iraq war came around, a lot of people posted that online. And I think that's something that's sort of chilling to watch backwards. That's kind of the fun of going back and rewatching a show is just seeing how our culture has changed and and what they got right. Now, again, big impact at the time. I mean, it was on everybody's lips, but only four seasons. Why only four seasons? Well, that actually is a great story in the book. Um, I was I was getting to uncover it as I interviewed people. Um, you know, this is crazy, but Ed and Marshall just didn't want to do anymore. You know, they had felt after four seasons that they told the stories they wanted to tell. They had done, they'd brought to television what they wanted to. So they just decided to end the series and they actually told no one. They they didn't tell ABC. They didn't tell, they just wrote a final episode. That was it. And they, you know, and they gave it to Scott Winant, who was the sort of the line producer that, you know, made the show run. And now Scott Winant is on you know, has done Breaking Bad and The Affair, and, and he's like a huge TV director. And he said, did you tell the network that, you know, this is it? And they're like, no, just send it through. It'll be fine. We're done. Well, of course, it wasn't fine. You know, when they actually took a look at that, people lost their mind. And they threatened a lawsuit and said, you will not film this episode. You cannot do this. You are not ending the series. You don't tell us when it ends. We tell you when it ends. But and it's such an interesting thing as an artist, because you think when you're done with your story, why can't you end it? You know, why do you have to to go to someone else to ask them to end it? But of course, that's a ridiculous thought because, you know, TV is a business. 
So they had to rewrite the last 15 minutes of the episode. And that's how the series ends. It just ends with this, you know, open-ended, nothing ending. And it has never felt true to me. When I was doing research on the book, that's when I found out what really happened. And no one could remember what the ending really was. You know, someone told me this, someone told me that. And, and it's all in the book of these people saying what they think the ending was. Right towards the end of my project, I stumbled upon Ken Zunder, who was the DP on the series, and I was interviewing him. And I asked him the question, what do you think the real ending was? And he said, I don't have to think it. The script is sitting in my desk. And I was like, what? You have the script? I'm like, the one that aired, you mean? He's like, no, 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 the first one. And I was like, could you give that to me? Would you scan it? And he was like, sure. So I contacted Marshall Herskowitz, the creator of the series, and said, can I print the real ending? And he was like, yeah, everyone who was mad about it is dead now. <laughs> so he, he was like, don't worry about it. It's fine. So in my book for the first time, fans can read what is the actual ending of the series where they actually wrap it up and basically kill the series. So that was like a gift I oh, can't yeah. That's even imagine. Huge. I got to believe every hardcore fan will buy this book for just that. Yeah, I mean, and I, I mean, I'm man enough to say that when I read it, I cried. Um, it is beautiful. And that is what everyone was telling. It was really funny because, you know, you'd talk to Ellen, Polly Draper played Ellen, and she was like, oh, it was just so beautiful. And I was like, well, what happened? She's like, I don't remember. And, you know, no, nobody could really point it out. And then when I read it, it truly was and is a, a very beautiful ending. Uh, I wish they would have been able to shoot it, but you know, the lawyers get in the way and that usually is, is when art starts to crack. Yeah. That's, um, that's gotta be uh, frustrating for them not to have ended it the way that they, they want to end it. And I'm, I'm guessing the end game on the part of the network was, well, maybe we can convince them to come back and, and so forth and so on. And I, I guess, the, well, I don't guess I know that didn't happen. Um, so what do you think the legacy of 30 something is? Let's assume that it, is never to come back and, and it stands on its own. How did it impact TV going forward? Are there any series that you feel it inspired? Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that what it really did was it showed that you could handle quote unquote, soap opera topics like divorce, losing your job, getting ill, cancer, even death. And it showed how you can do it w without being overly dramatic. And I think shows have tried to do it. Um, even Ed and Marshall, you know, they went on to make My So-Called Life with Winnie Holtzman, which is a great show. And people love that show. There's a, a I just gave you an episode for TV you grew up with <laughs> because there you go. Uh, tons of <laughs> teenagers will have done that. Uh, you know, watch that series. And Once and Again was a series they did there on Nashville. But I don't think anyone else really cracked that smallness as well. So I think it's it's something that people aspire to. You know, you mentioned that I do a Buffy podcast, and that's kind of the next book I'm working on, trying to do a Buffy oral history. And I was trying to get one of the directors to interview and you know you're setting these things up and he said oh i'll talk to you but i don't even want to talk about buffy i just want to talk to you about your 30 something book 
And I was like, <laughs> like what? Like you just wouldn't think that 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 influenced someone who directs Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But I think this show really did influence writers and directors more in the industry. And that, you know, that was like super cool because I'm like, well, I want to talk to you about Buffy. So I think this is going to work out. (laughs) Well, uh, our interview has worked. I think this is fascinating, uh, fascinating to get behind the scenes. And what I think is kind of neat is that you've caught most of the principles while they're, I mean, I hate to put it this way, but while they're still around, you know, it's been long enough that it's certainly worth a look back, but it's not been so long that, that you know, a, a huge amount of the people, the principles are, are no longer with us and so forth. And I think that's great that you were able to get so many of these people. And I, I'm, I'm guessing that part of this, obviously your love for this series was to act as kind of a historian of 30 something. Yeah. And one of the decisions I didn't, when I was going to start to write the book, I thought it was going to be a normal television book, you know, where I'm going to maybe pick the best episodes or talk about the legacy and things like that. Once I finished my interview with Ed Zwick, which was like, you know, so amazing. And I'll tell you this story. When I was talking to him, trying to set this up, he was juggling between me and Tom Cruise because he was working (laughs) on Jack Reacher. And I'm like, you know what? I think I can take that. You know, could you tell Tom, please leave us alone, Ed? We we need to speak here. That's funny. Um, But that's when I realized I don't need to be in this book. And I'm not. I write an essay at the front of the book. And I write an essay at the end of the book, but the entire bulk of this book, I am not in it. It is only their words. It's the people who crafted the series telling you about it. You know, sometimes I disagreed with them and, you know, I want to jump in there, but I don't because this is their memory. And I was so blessed that every, you know, if you, if you wrote more than two episodes of 30 something, I interviewed you. You know, there were there were a couple one offs I didn't get, but I got all the principal actors and all of the principal writers and producers. And that, you know, I just it's never going to happen again. That's not going to happen in my Buffy book, you know, to get this participation has has just been amazing. Scott Ryan, it's been an amazing interview. Where will people be able to find it? I'm assuming wherever fine books are sold. Yes, and you can go out to scottryanproductions.com and buy the book from me, and I'll sign it. And you can also find my Twin Peaks magazine there and a bunch of blogs and just pretty much everything about me at scottryanproductions.com. And then the book, yeah, will be sold everywhere that uh, people care about 30-something, which I'm hoping is everywhere. Scott Ryan, thank you for joining us today. Thanks. It was fun. Well, I think that was certainly worth the wait. Scott was great and really a lot of great insight on 30 something at 30. A couple of notes. Uh, first of all, that book is available now. Just to reiterate, uh, when we recorded it, it was not out yet, but it is available on Amazon and wherever fine books are sold and five stars on Amazon. So check it out. And thanks to Scott for his patience. Uh, I would love to have your feedback. You notice uh, if you're listening to this show that uh, it hasn't been put out a lot lately. Uh, There are a few reasons for that. The main reason is my main stock in trade, my various paranormal podcasts. 
Uh, I've been redoing the whole system and we have a great app, Jim Harold Spooky Studio for those, which actually we also include this uh, show in. So check that out, app, that app out if you haven't had it. Uh, it's at uh, Apple, Android and Amazon. It's free and it's called Jim Harold Spooky Studio. But I'm interested in your feedback because um, when you are kind of a one man band and we have a great uh, uh, assistant and associate uh, producer, Maddie, who helps us out. But when you're primarily a one-man band, you really have to make sure that you focus your energies where people are interested. And I have to be honest, we've had some tremendous guests on this show, fabulous guests, people I never thought I would get to speak to in my life. I won't mention them, but uh, just incredible guests. But yet the... Uh, the downloads, the audience numbers, for whatever reason, have never been uh, very strong on this show. And uh, it, it has me to the way of thinking that maybe people look at me in the paranormal light. And that's what they want to hear from me. And if that's the case, I'm very grateful that you you want to hear from me anywhere, to be honest with you. So, <laughs> so don't take that as a slight. But... Um, uh, chances are, you know, if things don't perk up on this show, we may just leave the archive up, of course, for you to listen to. But uh, whether or not we do a lot more episodes is kind of in question, because as we're headed towards 2018, believe it or not, we every, end of every year, we take a look at the shows that we're going to continue and maybe the shows that we will sunset. And uh, this TV podcast is looking like it's going to be in the sunsetting categories. We have a, a one or two more shows that we have recorded and we'll certainly post those, but I'd be interested in your feedback because I love doing the show. I love the topics. It gives me a chance to do something a little bit different, but looking at this as a business, which it is a business and I have to focus on where people will listen. I have to make some tough decisions. So my paranormal podcasts are going to continue as they always have. But on the TV podcast, this TV podcast, I may have to take a serious look at just saying it was a lot of fun to do, but we're going to just, uh, we're going to put that on hiatus. So I'd love to get your feedback. And I'm also kind of honestly doing this as a test because I've kind of gently hinted at this before and I really didn't hear much back. So I'm kind of doing this as a test to see if anybody cares. <laughs> We thank you so much for tuning in to the great TV podcast. And as they say, stay tuned. Thank you. Bye-bye.